It is good to have Mike back. It's good to be back. It's good. It's good for me. I hope it's, I hope it's good that I'm back for you. We'll see. <laughs> wait. Yeah, let's wait till the end of the service. Okay, then I'll let you guys vote then. It's a great week to be here at Grace Covenant Church. Um, we're kicking off the fall for many of you. Some of you are starting school, and this is kind of the, the way we get things started. And this is a, this is a great fall. We're going to study uh, the United Kingdom period for, I think, 12 or 13 weeks. That's First and Second Samuel. There's a lot of insight on who we are and how we can respond to God and, and how God responds to us. I'm looking forward to that. We're spending the first two weeks talking about getting connected, and that's what we'll do this week and next week. Uh, I wanted to, before we get going with our learning time, uh, accentuate one of the announcements, and that is towards uh, Clear Communications. Clear Communications is one of our courses that's taught on Tuesday nights. It's six sessions over seven weeks. It is the best, most practical material this church has ever produced. That's, we don't talk like that much around here. I want you to seriously consider coming and bringing a friend. This is an easy opportunity to bring a friend, a neighbor, or coworkers. Bring your whole team if you're on a team, because the focus of Clear Communications is to make clear what you're trying to communicate. And the target is not just teachers, sure, but it's in the context of business, in the context of relationship, and how to parent, how to speak to your child or teenager so they can hear. It's easy. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's very kind of secular. The reason we're emphasizing it so early is we're needing you to sign up as soon as possible. Last time we had almost 200 people attend. This time we're expecting a, quite a bit more because the 200 that came are probably going to want to bring friends. And that causes all kinds of issues with setup and takedown here. So go online, under courses, sign up. You'll be glad you did. It changed people's lives. Clear communication, it'll change people's lives. You'll like it. I want to reiterate what Jeremiah said earlier about the children's ministry. Will you please consider volunteering and serving your church in that context? The reason it's laborious here to, to get volunteers is because we need so many, but particularly because our ratios are somewhat strange here. We have so many young families, don't have a lot of singles and, that, and, and people without children, and the people with children, like Either, either we have a big families, or I think that Catholic church down the street on Mesa is dropping their kids off with us. So we're going to be looking for a bus next week. But would you please consider, because we, we, we absolutely do need a considerable number of volunteers with those younger children. Okay? Think about that. Pray about that. Let's, speaking of which, it's been a hard week to be on planet Earth. Let's, uh, let's pray before we start. Uh, it has been, Lord, another crazy week with men and women with armies and knives and vans filled with hate out to destroy innocence and we don't know what to think or do about it. There is no place safe and so I'd ask that you would help us find that our safety is in you. There's no created thing that can separate us from your love and we'd find rest in that. There's nowhere to find trust. I, I, the television is filled with propaganda, not truth. And so I'd ask that you would help us trust in you, that even you know what goes on behind closed doors, and, and you're coming, like we read, for justice. So, Lord, we, we, we ask. We seek justice, and we, and we seek truth, and we seek mercy. Come, Lord Jesus. This is insane. Lord, I'd ask as we go into our learning time that you would open our hearts to a way to live a, a balanced Christian life, 
a life with you at the center of our, our soul and trying to navigate the competing desires and demands upon our schedule. I'd ask that you would help us live that with clarity and with confidence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining me in prayer. This is a great Sunday to be here. We're going to look at something that we've studied before here, and some of you that have been here a number of years, it's going to look familiar. It has some new twists. Now, the reason we repeat some of our you know, critical lesson times is because we're trying to build like a culture of understanding, and we want everybody that's joined us recently to come along and join our culture, right, our cultural identity. So we want to use words repeatedly so that people can go right to those and know what they mean. One of our repeated uh, teachings is opinion, belief, conviction. Happens a lot around here. Uh, We use a phrase, stuck at the wall, because once you understand what that means, you can understand where you are. And today we're going to be looking at living, you know, this Christ-centered, balanced life. And, And another reason that we repeat some of these teaching times is because in the Bible, it doesn't matter what you know, it's whether you're doing it. And so some of you are going to say, oh, I've actually seen most of this talk already. It's like, yeah, but are you living the balanced Christian life? And maybe today we'll help do that. If you're new, this is also a time of the year that we renew our, or review our, our vision for our church. And at Grace, we don't have a big, hairy, audacious goal. Our vision for Grace is you. You're the vision of our church. And I guess... I guess we do because some of you are big, hairy, and audacious, so I guess we have a bigger. But the vision of our church is this, that you would see yourself as Jesus Christ sees you. That if you could see yourself mature and complete the way he has already declared you to be, then you will do God's will, and great things will happen in the context of what God wills, what God wills. So here's how God views you. This is in 1 Peter. He says this, For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result of that, you can show others the goodness of God. And so, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Here's here's how you're supposed to see life. This is the vision that you would see life this way. A new identity and a new purpose. A new identity. You're a royal priest. Yeah. You know, it's right for you to see yourself in the former sense that you were a mutt and somewhat worthless. But now, you're nobility. That's what it says. That's the promise. And, and you were homeless and you know, penniless. And, and that passage says that you are God's very own possession. New identity. Well, the new identity comes with a new purpose because it says, as a result, now you can show others the goodness of God. And that gives you a meaning and purpose to life. So the vision of our church is this, that you would grow in maturity and in completeness to see yourself in a new identity with a new purpose. And that, that's the purpose of a church in many respects. It's, it's so important to our value system here at Grace that we have a saying that summarizes it in a single sentence. I'm just the pastor, but you, you're the, you're the minister's. That's right. I'm the pastor, but you're just, I'm just the pastor. I'm sorry, but you're the ministers. And so today, since that's somewhat of the theme of our lesson time, I felt like, you know what? Let's bring somebody up to help that is more like you than like me. 
Okay, somebody that is actually in lay business and that sort of stuff. So I'm going to ask Mark McLean, who's been a long-term friend of mine. He came here over 20 years ago on a job transfer, started coming to Grace. Didn't take him long to be involved in the leadership of Grace. He just rotated off our leadership board. And uh, he's an award-winning uh, leader as a CEO of a couple tech companies. Now he's the CEO of SailPoint. And the companies that he's led have won multiple awards for their productivity. But if Mark would ever brag about the company, he would brag about this. He would brag that for eight years in a row, his company has won what most favored, best place to work in Austin. That means the culture is a fun thing to do, and that's usually the consequence of the, of the CEO and the leadership team. So he won't brag about those things, so I will. Here's what he will brag about is his family. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your family, and then we'll get started with our learning time. I uh, will. Thanks. And technically, we're one of the best places. We only won the best once, but hey, oh. I like the way you say it. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm blessed to have a wonderful wife, Marge, who has uh, put up with me for 31 years and counting. Um, she's here today. The woman's slinking in her chair. Wherever she is, that would be her. Um, my kids are awesome. I have a son, Andy, who's a football coach and teacher at a high school, and uh, Glenn here in town. He married a wonderful young lady named Erica. They've blessed us with two amazingly cool grandkids. And then our middle daughter, Rachel, and her husband, John, recently had their first child, and they're here. They went, Rachel went to Auburn, met John there, dragged him back to Austin, which isn't that hard to do today if you're a millennial. This is the coolest place in America, apparently. Um, and uh, then our youngest daughter, Grace, just graduated from Auburn and went on staff with Young Life. So she's still living in, in the southeast, as they say. So Awesome. So in the, in the context of how you view your balanced Christian life, that's the theme here, what is the paradigm that you work to filter and make sense out of the life that God has given you? I think it ultimately, in my mind, comes down to this concept of stewardship, right? I think we... We read about that in the Bible, but this idea that we are stewards of our time, talent, treasure, and I think something we'll talk about today, our energy, right? Not just those three T words we've said a lot in the church, but also like how do we expend our energy and our time uh, in a way that's meaningful? And that idea that, that really these are gifts. The talent word you taught me years ago is actually our English word comes out of that parable that talents were gifts given to these stewards. And we think of talents now as the gifts were given by God to do what we're doing. And this idea that we are really not owners of these things, we are managers. We are given a set of things to manage and, and, and give back to the owner. Right. Well, uh, since you built your life around this parable, let me tell everyone what the parable is. Jesus tells a story about end times, future judgment, how things are going to end. And he says, the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a wealthy owner, and he's, and he's leaving his possessions, and he gathers a few of his managers, he gathers three of his managers up, and gives each one of them a different amount of talents. Again, talents then were a weight of valuable, um, you know, like gold or something like that. Today, it would, it would make sense that it, it would become your, your time, your opportunities, your talent your resources, those sorts of things. So all that to say is uh, his first manager comes and he gives him five talents. And then the second manager comes in, he gives him two talents. And finally, the last one receives one talent. And then says, I'll be back, but I won't tell you when. He delegates these and then leaves. And then look what happens to the people that understand their responsibility towards uh, the owner. The first person, it says the first person immediately went out. That was the emphasis in the passage. He immediately went out and put the money to work and was able to reproduce it. In other words, he doubled it, went from five to 10. The second 
Stuart did almost exactly the same. The sentence is identical. So he immediately went out and put the money to work and was able to double it. Goes from two to four. The third steward, the third manager, buried that one talent in the ground, dug a hole and planted it there. The parable continues. After a long period of time, the owner returns and gives a performance review. The first man comes up and says, well, what happened? He says, well, you gave me five, I made you five. And the owner says this, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I've, I've trusted you with a little, I'm gonna trust you for a lot. Now here's the, listen, come and share in your master's joy. That's a good thing to hear. The second servant comes up and says, well, how'd, how'd you do? He said, well, you gave me two. I was able to make it four. And the owner he gives him the exact same compliment. Didn't matter how much the money was. He just used it the same way. He said, listen, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been trusted for a little. I'm going to trust you for a lot. Come and share in your master's joy. Okay, where's the third guy? Third guy steps up. What'd you do? He says, well, I knew you were a ruthless owner. So... You know, I just buried it in the ground, so here's your one back. At this point, the owner becomes righteously angry and says, you are foolish, and you're, and, 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 uh, you're a ruthless, I'm sorry, he said, you're a ruthless person, so I buried it. He says, you're, you're a foolish, lazy person, and you're using this lame excuse to excuse your foolishness and your laziness. And then here's, here's what he says. Here's the owner. But since you squandered the only life I gave you, oh. I'd hate to hear that because you squandered the only life I gave you and the talent that I lent you, just borrowing, right? You will be judged accordingly. So that's the parable of the talents. That's what Mark's referring to. He's not going to live his life as a person who squanders his only life and the limited talents that he's been lent. So how does this make itself into like your everyday life and maybe your advice now that you're getting older, your advice to other people? Thanks for reminding me. I'm getting older. Appreciate that. Um, I think it's simple. A simple memory trick on this concept is right place, right pace. Right place is sort of understanding the position God's placed you in. Um, there's a, a really helpful book that's been out in the market a few years called Strengths Finders. Uh, it's a secular book, but I'd encourage you to pick it up. The premise behind that book is pretty straightforward. A lot of us uh, who've ever had a performance review in whatever setting we're in, we find that we hear this usually: "Hey, here's what you're doing well." Here's what you're doing not so well. Let's spend a bunch of time trying to help you get better at the stuff you don't do so great at, right? Has everybody done that once in their life probably? The book's premise is, look, here's, if you understand what you do well, be realistic, be self-aware, you know, it gives you a little test to kind of check this stuff. Now, think about developing that stuff and complement the stuff you're not good at with other people. Uh, in the context of an office where I've spent most of my life in the lovely Microsoft suite, I say to people, figure out if you're an Excel person, a PowerPoint person, or a Word person, right? Pictures, numbers, words. You're probably not great at all three. I personally need number people. I like pictures and words. Numbers, ooh, ooh. Um, and so I think it's, uh, it's healthy to understand what are you good at, what do you need to complement yourself with, and, and play where you're meant to play. That's the right place or right position. If you're designed to be an NFL lineman, you're going to have to sacrifice that dream of being a ballet dancer. It's just not what God made right. you to be, right? Um, there's a second thought here, and it's this right pace. So understanding your limits. A couple of thoughts here. I think the thought there is, it's kind of back to our parable. It's like, 
figure out if God's made you a one or a two or a three, four, five talent person, right? And, and, and where you are, where he's put you, play where he's put you, right? And, and, and understand that the pace you can go. Because a couple of bad things happen when you don't get this right, in my opinion. The first one is you're really a one or two talent person, but you think you're a three or four talent person, and you start working like a maniac right. to try to make that true. And almost inevitably, there is some very bad things in your wake, right? I'm over 40, maybe over 50, maybe approaching 60. And as I look back on it now, I see a lot of evidence of people who have achieved a level of success, but there is a train wreck behind them. That was a great, um, Bill Hybels does the Global Leadership Summit, a bunch of us went to last week, had a great quote. He said, what, in America, what do we call someone who's a billionaire who has three divorces and a bunch of kids in rehab? A success. Right? We get focused on they, they built something great or they made a ton of money, but they've messed up the rest of their life. That, that may have been a person who was out of balance, right, trying to do five talents with two. The other thing is kind of get comfortable with your place. This is kind of a be content, don't despair thought. The thought there is if, you're, if you are a manager in the business setting or if you're a teacher in the school setting, you may aspire to be a CEO or you may aspire to be a the head of the hospital at a, at, a, at a nursing setting or the superintendent of schools. But if you figure out somewhere along the way that that's probably not where God's calling you, don't despair. Just say, I'm going to be the best manager I can be because that's what God made me to be. And the people that, that do well and stay healthy a lot of times in their balance are people that recognize that's what I'm meant to be. We're joking, you know, there's a reason I'm not the CEO of Amazon. I'm the CEO of a company, but not Amazon. Matt's the leader of a fantastic church. We're not the largest church in America. If we had tried to do those things, probably we would have been those guys who either blew up and never got there or tried so hard to get there we screwed up everything behind us right. trying to do that. So I think the right place, right pace, and avoid those twin worries of, overworking to try to be something you're not or just going into a place of despair because that's not what you always thought you would be, just settling. Right. If you go back to the, the First Peter passage, you can see where identity helps you with that because if you identify yourself with the title that you have and you don't want the title manager, then you're going to do something either in the wrong place or at the wrong pace. If you see yourself first and foremost as a royal priest, God's holy only possession, right, his special possession, then you can be content. Your new identity helps in contentment in the balanced Christian life. So that's a, that's a great part of the first application. The second one, how do you do with the, with the quote, stewardship of, of the second part of that passage where it said, therefore, as a result, you get to go and explain the goodness of God, right? So how do you how do you show that. I, I, for me, and, and I think there are those who are called to be hardcore evangelists and go spread the gospel. You once said years ago, you know, if you're not sure if you're gifted in something, A, try it, and B, watch for the results. I tried a couple of those uh, drive-by shooting evangelism things on airplanes. Not pretty. Uh, not a good result. They're generally not called drive-by shootings, Mark. That was but my when, point. That's, I think that's what you, that person felt right, like. Yeah, that when, was my when point. When you do it, it might that be. That person was cowering. What, what is happening? <laughs> Um, so that was not my gifting, right? So to me, it boils Clearly. down. <laughs> Thank you. Matt is always here to reinforce my weaknesses. Remember what we were talking about? That's what he's here for. Um, the, the focus is on salt and light, I think, right? What are we called to do? We're called to be salt and light in, in one of Jesus's most famous sermons, right? Um, salt has taste. It has flavor. It makes things interesting. Light helps us understand what's happening around us, right? I think in, in many ways, 
the Anointed for Business book I read years ago, and I'd encourage you to pick up that book as well. Um, Anointed for Business helped me understand that we're called to where, where we are if we're paying attention to God, meaning sometimes we get into our faith and we say, if I'm really going to be serious about Christianity, I should probably go back to seminary or I should quit my job and go into full-time ministry. And, and some small segment of our population of Christians are probably meant to do that, but clearly not most of us, right? Something like 5% of the Christians in the world are probably called into full-time ministry as we define it today, clergy. We don't use that word here a lot. But most of us are called to just keep doing marketplace, school, education, medical field. Most of the saints in the Bible are lay people. That was one of the uh, the teachings of this book that was great, right? How How do you understand most of the heroes of the Bible when you really look deeply? They're not what we would call pastors. They're normal working people, right? So I think the danger we sometimes get into is okay, I've got that. I, I know I'm supposed to try to be out there in the marketplace. That's my calling. Now I'll, I'll look around me and, oh gosh, it's so scary and dark. Let's huddle up and be safe. Let's, let's just get in our corner um, and, and hold a Bible study at work. That's our mission. And I joke, you know, you, know, you start with that and then people say, well, let's hold a Bible study in the office. No, that's too scary. Well, maybe we'll hold one in the parking lot. No, that's actually still a little too scary. Let's get off campus. Let's go to Starbucks. Nope, that's too ungodly. We can't go there. Let's go to Chick-fil-A. That's a safe place to hold a Bible study. Um, <laughs> So we get, we get kind of, you know, okay, I'll do something, but I'll do it in a very safe context. And I think, you know, back to the light and, and, uh, and salt thing, one of the things says is don't, don't people light a lamp and put it, people don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. A lot of us in the marketplace are hanging out under bowls, right? We're like, hey, I'm going to stay with my Christian friends and, and, and be there, stay with my buddies, and I'm not really affecting the people around me. Well, and that's, that's that, again, that value of stewardship you have a responsibility for opportunities. The only right. opportunities you have to be here now, you need to seize the day on those and, and be a person that introduces others to the goodness of God. Um, how this every believer, a minister at work, and clearly you're not a drive-by shooting evangelist, and no one's, no one's no suggesting one's really that's should a, be do that. No, okay. no, I guess that's a bad thing. What is the model that you tend to think of in your, in your mind? How do, you, how do you project, how can I be a good witness at work? I think I learned the model from you, Matt. Um, no, there's a great thing, back to Matt's point about culture and, and terminology. We say thing here at Grace a lot, prayer, care, share. What is a simple thing to remember? When I think about the people that are in my circle, and, and, and again, your circle can be your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, I, I try to start with those three thoughts, right? First, I need to be praying for the people that God's put in my circle, right? Uh, but if I'm, that's a huge statement. Oh yes, that God put in my circle. There's a there's a, there's an underlying providence mm. of God saying, this didn't just happen. Mm. And so I'm in this workplace or on this, this coaching this soccer team or on this block, and I'm supposed to be the minister. That's you right. talking, not me. You're that's supposed true. to be the minister. So now go get them. That's your prayer part. Yeah, I think the old model of I, I should grab those people and bring them to church to hear you, yeah, right. we tried to blow that up at Grace. It's right. like, no, go out there. Right. You go be the minister. Eventually, if they get excited about what you're doing in your life, they may want to come with you to church. But the first job is not to grab them and bring them to church. It's for you to minister, to pray for them, care for them. Right. And, and in Marketplace, I've, I've learned this. Um, caring is a good general habit. But in the, in the context of crisis is where it really happens, right? Because at work, stuff happens. Um, you know, people go through kids that are sick or divorces or their spouse has a massive issue with their career or something. 
And sometimes by those are negative crises. There's also positive crises. People get promoted and they're freaking out because <laughs> they're like, ah, I don't know how to do this. So whether it's a positive or negative crisis, when people get rocked out of their normal mode, right. that's often when they start going, I need help. And that's when you can care for them. And when you care for them, that share thing, even for us non-professional derived by evangelists, is, is a time to say, well, let's talk about your worldview. How's that working for you? Right. right. If you're going through this crisis, are you navigating it successfully? Or are you not navigating it successfully? Maybe there's some things I can share with you that would help you navigate that. Right. Awesome. So uh, you're a royal priest, and you understand to do that. So you're doing at the right place, the right pace, and now the responsibility of going and show, showing the goodness of God. Conceptually, I understand that. When I look back on, uh, on my life, especially in the 30s and 40s. I felt like the actual application of that was extremely difficult. The Christ-centered, balanced Christian life was, was a figment of fantasy for me. I lived most of those two decades uh, experiencing a version of losing, always feeling like I, I'm not doing the right thing because if I was at home, there was always so much work to be done and expectations were unrealistic and high. If I was at work, I, that's awesome, but I just felt my children needing me and a, and a wife that needed some attention. And so wherever I was, I was losing and, you know, just versions of losing. So I guess because of the way I made it, I lived with a, a lot of guilt. Most of the time, that usually showed itself off as anger. And there was just this unrelenting conflict of responsibility, priority, and limited time. So... I got you up here for a reason, so answer that one. That's the one. That, that well, let's come back to the stewardship thing, right? I mean, we talked time, talent, treasure, and, and energy I, I threw in there as well. I think what, we, what I found was there's this difference that I didn't get early on between value and time. Because a lot of you probably had this picture in your head that I did uh, of a ladder or a priority list, something like this, right? Uh, and if, and if you, you're a church person, a Christian, you think, okay, that's my, you know, good, good church answer is always God's first. Uh, if you're married, spouse is second, kids, church, work, blah, 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 right? And that is not a bad way to think of kind of the value order of your life, right? The things that I care a lot about. The trouble was I think I and many others I knew were trying to apply that in a time allocation, and that's when it gets all screwed up, right? Because you start thinking if work in this list is fifth, why is it I'm spending most of my waking hours at work? That feels out of balance because it's fifth on my list in a, in a rank-ordered ladder, right? And so I think this idea of, of differentiating between value ordering and time allocation was kind of a big insight. Sure. And oddly enough, we were both reading the same book in the early 80s that said there's a different model out there. It's the pie. And the pie, well, you tell, tell us about the pie. Yeah, it turns out Matt and I figured out a few years ago, 10 years ago or something, that we had both read the same book 20 years prior to that. And, and unfortunately, by the way, I got asked this on the last break. The book's out of print. And by the way, we've done stuff to extend the idea. So you don't need the book. You just need our slides. Um, <laughs> This was the book, right? It says, look, what if you don't think of it as an ordered list? Think of it like God's at the center of my life if I've got my priorities, my values right. But then I actually move into these various segments or wedges of the pie, so to speak, at times based on what's happening, right? What's going on in my life. And, and, and the point is to say, no matter what, the problem with the rank ordered list is when you left the God rank ordered thing, you went to the others, theoretically you weren't on God anymore. In this model, when I'm at work, when I'm in my marriage dealing with my wife and my kids or my friends, I'm still thinking, well, how does Christ want me to operate in this setting? What's a Christ-centered work life? What's a Christ-centered hobby? What's a Christ-centered family? And so it's, it's how do I make that work in this kind of a model? 
Right. And, and this model is, uh, is idealistic and re- unrealistic. Look how neatly divided everything is. <laughs> if you're married, this is probably a more realistic uh, way of doing the wedges. And if, when you have a child, then you have to renegotiate the wedges, and then you have another child, and that's what happens. The third child comes along, you'll notice, first of all, your, ch- your child becomes kids. They're just, they're just kids now. <laughs> And if you notice carefully, your stuff is being pushed out of the wedge, hopefully. This is, this is supposed to be a, a balanced, somewhat Im, imbalanced Christian life here, but there's no time for hobbies. There's no time for sometimes health. I, I, remember, I remember being on a softball team and getting a brand new set of cleats, and the, the day before I used them, uh, I was playing a game, and my youngest, my thirdborn, was eating the sand behind the dugout. <laughs> and I just thought, oh. Okay, I'm going to put this away for a while. I put, the, I put these cleats in my closet up on the top shelf. They were there 10 years. Never used them. I gave them the goodwill and said, 10 years old but never used. Brand new but 10 years old. That's what happens. Now, here's the key to this type of pie. You know, this is what we're doing today. Are you working the pie? You have to learn to keep score differently with the pie. Because when you do the pie right... Generally, you don't succeed at anything. You're not good or great at anything. And that was a crushing reality for me. Because if you succeed in one thing quite well, what ends up happening, and I, I know pastors that have ex- succeeded in the, in the, in, for the love of the church, and I know some gals that have done it for the love of their family, for their kids, or a guy for the love of their family, they spend too much time at work. If they're a one-wedge type person, they lose the pie. Okay, and, and if you're a one-wedge type person, oh, that's not right here, but I'll do it anyway. What do you call a one-wedge we, person? We call that a wedgie. A wedgie. <laughs> and Mark wanted to title today's sermon, Don't Be a Wedgie. Don't be a wedgie. But he's no good with titles. I am. I'm, yeah. And by the way, they will remember nothing else we say yeah. other than wedgie. Don't now. be the wedgie. But, oh, well. What'd you hear today, Mom? Don't be a wedgie. <laughs> The way you win at the pie is the way you win a national championship like in swimming or gymnastics. You can win the whole thing, a gold medal in the Olympics, and no person on the team wins a gold individually. If everybody gets silver, you can win the whole thing. That's hard for some of you that are used to winning, but the way to win is to win at the pie, not the wedges. And that was, that was helpful. We're bringing that so that you would learn to do that. I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton, and I quote it often, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Here's the definition of the balanced Christian life, okay? Here's the definition of a balanced Christian life. Temporary, healthy, and balance. Let's read that together. The balanced, balanced Christian, Christian life, life is a temporary, temporary healthy, healthy in balance. Look at those key words. It's temporary. It's a healthy imbalance. Okay, so sometimes here's a good example. You're starting a new job or it's sometimes it's a season of work where you're required to do a lot right now. New jobs do that. And so, and look, the guys in management don't care what's going on in your family. You've got to get this job done. I get it. It's temporary. But this is what the balanced life looks like, right? It's a temporary thing where you're spending a lot of time at work and you're having to negotiate with other members of the family. That's that's what the balanced, or that's what the balanced Christian life is. Christ is centered, but here's here's the bumper sticker again, right? The balanced Christian life, slide. The balanced Christian life is a temporary, healthy imbalance. Now, if we can live with that, 
and, and just rest with that. Here, <laughs> here's the problem. What is the healthy imbalance? I mean, who gets to choose that? What is the healthy level of imbalance that we're going to be temporarily involved in? In other words, if this is the temporary healthy imbalance in, at work, who's to say, you know, you come home and I'm doing this other one? That's way out of balance. And listen, I can tell you a lot of stories, and you probably know a few, where you, somebody says, well, honey, I'm doing this for the love of family. You know, I'm, I'm spending all this time at work for you guys. And then there's no family to come home to. It's not uncommon for people to invest in their family where they say this is a healthy, temporary healthy imbalance of family, but they don't do the healthy part and they do this. And so generally speaking, sometimes it's easy for a mother to invest primarily in her children at an unhealthy level. It's not temporary. It's becoming a lifestyle. And, there's, and then she loses a husband from neglect. That's easy to do because it's hard to find out what the temporary healthy part of the imbalance is. It's hard to keep it temporary. It's hard to decide what's healthy, and it's hard to understand and negotiate the imbalance part. So, like, here's my question to you, Mark. I mean, how do you figure this out? I mean, do you, like, wander around in you know, trial and error? Do you, here's what most people do, I'll do what my parents did, or the alternative, I'll do the opposite of what my parents did. All three of these are pretty bad choices. <laughs> What'd you do? Bumbled our way through it. Oh, there. Uh, a. Like, a, good for us. No, I think the great thing is I married well over my head, as I said earlier. And so Marge and I started talking about this a lot. And there were definitely times when I was on, and we at times were on the right side there, right? I, work was out of control. Um, there were times I felt like the kids were so dominant that I was left out of the discussion a little bit. But we would always come back to we're on the same team. Right. That's <laughs> we, key. We are trying. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely key. Because I'll there. bet some of you have had arguments with somebody that you loved and you felt like you're going after the competitor. And I can't tell you how many times in, in, in marriage counseling and in, our own, in my own marriage, it's like, wait, wait, wait. Same team. Same team still both working towards a godly, temporarily healthy imbalance, right? Right. Okay, so let's, like, talk to each other like we're on the same team. And you and Marge had that nicely we done. I heard a great phrase recently that was helpful. I wish I'd heard it back then. There, in life, there are problems to be solved, and there are tensions to be managed. This is a tension to be managed. You'd sort of think, I'm going to solve this. I'm right. going to find the perfect stasis, the perfect balance, and we'll just stay there. Right. And what we found is, no, 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 this is a tension. So if it's out of balance for a day, Marge was fine, or, or vice versa. You know, If it's out of balance for a week, we're having a conversation. If it's out of balance for a month, we're talking about reordering something. Right. Because right? like that, that temporary thing starts to become looking like it's permitted after a month, in my experience. And you go, wait a minute. I remember a great conversation uh, we had. I, I was doing projects at work, and, and Marge is like, hey, you said this was like a season, and now this is like the fourth straight season. Is there an off season? <laughs> you know, like, you know, you keep going to this. Oh, but it's only a temporary thing. Pretty soon the, the straight, the, the uh, too many temporaries in a row starts to be permanent, I guess is the way to right. think of that, right? So it's a, it's a tension to be managed. It's a balance over time. Um, and, then, and then I think the other thing we talked about, the, the debate that was raging when we were young parents was this quantity quality time thing. And we, we wrestled with that one too. Like, hey, I'm not going to be around as much because I'm working hard. I was, we were living in LA. I was doing three hours of commute a day. Not fun. Pre-cell phone. This was not productive three hours of commuting. No podcast. No cell phone. Radio. Um, not fun. And so we would have these conversations about, 
hey, you know, but I'm there when I'm there. It's quality. And, we, and uh, you, you or somebody shared this quote with me a few years ago, uh, quantity has a quality all its own. There's times when I just had to say, I've got to be around more. I'm going to make some hard trade-offs. I'm going to limit my promotion, promotability if I have to because I am not going to be that guy who at 45 says, look at my career and where's my family. And so we made some hard ch choices on that quality quantity thing to get it right. Um, and I think if, 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 if you're at that 25 to 35-year-old age, I would encourage you, do your best to extrapolate the choices you're making now and what are they going to look like at 45 and 55. Very few 25 to 35-year-olds spend enough time doing that. Highest uh, divorce rate, second highest divorce rate is among uh, people at, that are experiencing the empty nest phase, and it's because they focus on a wedge instead of the pie. So the husband comes and looks at his wife, and she looks at him and says, done. I don't need this. We're out of here. Second highest level of divorce rate because they weren't focusing on the pie. They were focusing on a narrow sliver or a wedge of that. How are you doing with the pie? I gave a couple of examples of how to do this. Stumble around in ignorance, right? Do what your parents did or the, what, the opposite of what your parents did. Could I propose a third option, option C? You could go to one of our communities. We built this church around pies. <laughs> Think about it. The pie that you have in life is who you generally connect to the most. And you've seen this in your life, and you might have suffered from it because you were a, a young couple without children, and then some people started having children, or you did, and then all of a sudden you weren't spending time and you kind of felt hurt. It's not your fault. It's not their fault. It's the pie's fault because they have a different set of stresses now. And so one couple says to the other, hey, what do, you, what do you say we throw some stuff in the trunk and go down to the beach for the weekend? And the one with the kids said, What? <laughs> Throw stuff in the trunk. i got to pull up my trailer. I need two hours to pack it. I'm going to still forget most everything. And getting down there and back in the sand and all, I don't know. And so the, the, the pies are life stages. We have life stage classes led by mentors that can help you guys like Mark and I or other people that are saying, you know what, you don't, this is a temporary healthy imbalance. And if there's negotiating to be done, a husband-wife team, they can take that mentor to lunch or that leader in the class and say, look, I think it's a temporary. I don't think it's temporary anymore. I don't think this is healthy. Let's negotiate. You can learn from other people's mistakes or victories. And right now, this is a very sweet uh, time in Grace's history. Eight of the communities right, are working with the junior high and senior high ministry. Now there's 10 different organizations working together on a common core curriculum that's customized for that class that's in complement to the pulpit so, so that you can learn how to love effectively, communicate lovingly, and how to have a good, purposeful argument that's civil. So I think you should seriously consider, they start today, I mean, you should seriously consider joining one of our communities because that's where we find out, I guess, the easy way, what a temporary, healthy, right, imbalance looks like. Let me put a bow on things, Okay. Keeping Christ as the center, we made it sound like it was easy. We'll talk about that next week, all right? But the rest of our time was talking about this idea of stewardship of all that God has given you, your talents, your, app, you know, your abilities, your opportunities, okay? The first part you were talking about was… I think it's know your talents, be in the right place, right? know how many talents you've got, run at the right pace. Right place, right pace, right? So, and you can do that because you have confidence that you're God's… Holy nation, right? You're, you're his royal priest. 
And then the second part of the verse says, so that as a result, you can show people the good news. You applied that? Salt and light. Salt and light. Get out of the salt shaker. Get out from under the bowl. And how do you do that? How does that, every, how does that even work? Prayer, care, share. Prayer, care, share. How do you live the balanced Christian life? You learn that it's really a series of temporary healthy imbalances. Boom. It's good to have you up here. It's fun. It's good to have you up here. Uh, it, it occurred to me the other day uh, that many of the ministries at Grace Covenant Church were started by some of the men and women leadership that went like this. Man, I wish I would have known this or that when I was this age. When I was single, I wish I knew that. Let's start that. Let's start a premarital counseling ministry. Oh, I wish I knew this as a young couple. Let's start that. I wish I knew this when I was a new father. I didn't know I'd be jealous of children. Oh, good. We have a class for that. Most of what we're doing is because the people that are 45 and above wanted to help other people behind them and not have to make the mistakes they did. Could you please consider taking advantage of the uniqueness of this church it is multi-generational, and we're generous with wisdom. It's easy to find some churches that are multi-generational, but they don't share the wisdom. We are both age and generous with wisdom. We love it to cascade from generation to generation. That's my punchline for today. Would you consider getting involved at Grace in a deep way? You won't regret it. Mark, would you be a minister and a pastor? and uh, close our time in prayer. I will do it. Lord, we thank you for, uh, again, the chance that we have to worship in freedom, that we can come together in a place like this and speak openly of truth and, and share what we've learned and try to guide those behind us along the path or those with us along the path. Uh, this time of year, I'm especially mindful of the start of the year for school things, um, mindful of all those kids, uh, many of whom are, are scared about going into school, maybe for the first time or a new school. They've They've got challenges. Uh, they, they don't know exactly what, what's ahead in the fall. I pray that you'll just give those kids peace uh, and, and, and understanding that you've got them right where they, you want them, and also that they would begin, even in their young minds, to understand what it looks like to be salt and light in their community of their school. I pray for their parents uh, who are probably sharing some of those fears and trepidations of what's this year going to be like. Maybe they had a difficult year last year. Maybe they've uh, got kids moving into different or uh, new schools. Uh, maybe they've got personal things happening in their lives that causes them concern about how well they can handle the school year. So again, that you would give wisdom and, and peace and clarity to those parents as they face kind of the busy season of the fall. And I especially pray for those in the educational community, the teachers, the administrators, uh, all of the coaches, all those that are choosing to use their talents uh, to build into the lives of the young people uh, that, are, that are the next generation or the next generation's and I just thank you for those among us who are, who are serving in that way, who take their considerable talents and abilities and choose to build into the lives of the young. So I pray that you will bless them and, and cause, their fruit, uh, cause their efforts to be very fruitful. Lord, again, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the blessings you've uh, given to us. And, and we thank you that we have, again, the opportunity to share openly about our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.